invite you to turn to the book of James chapter 4 and we read verses 13 through 17. Have thine own way, Lord. I trust that's your prayer today, your heart's desire. James chapter 4, starting at verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Lord, take now these words that you have given to us, words given by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would uh, teach us, that you would open our hearts, our eyes, our ears, our minds to your truth. Thank you, Lord, that your word is everlasting truth. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a man who was wanting to know the will of God in a particular manner, so he opened up his Bible and random and stuck his finger on the text. Uh, assuming that God would lead him in what he wanted to know. And it landed on a passage from Matthew 27, verse 5, which said that Judas went out and hanged himself. And he thought, that's probably not God's will for me. So he did it again, opened up his Bible at random, stuck his finger, landed on Luke 10, verse 37, which said, go and do the same. He thought, this really can't be. So he tried it one more time, landed on John 13, verse 27, which says, what you do, do quickly. <laughs> now, I'm not going to say that God could never lead us in that way, but there, there's a much better, better way than that. And you know, when it comes to the will of God, uh, we tend to think that our biggest problem is knowing God's will. And sometimes that's the case. Have you ever been in a situation where you were just saying, I, I really don't know, Lord, what you want me to do. Lord, Lord, show me. Lord, lead me. Lord, guide me. And I think we've all faced those times where I'm just not sure, Lord, what, what you want me to do. But I don't think that is necessarily our, our biggest problem. I would suggest to you that our biggest problem is not really knowing the will of God, there's a lot that we know from Scripture is God's will, don't we? Maybe the biggest challenge we face is not so much knowing the will of God, but doing the will of God. Probably our biggest struggle is that we want our will instead of God's will. So that ought to be our biggest prayer. Not so much, Lord, show me the will of God, but Lord, help me to live consistent with your will given in your word. This is the whole issue that James addresses in this uh, passage of Scripture. And he tells us three things about God's will and our response to that. 
The first thing he says is this, is that it is foolish to ignore God's will. Foolish to ignore God's will. It's obvious that James is, is writing to uh, businessmen in the congregation there, as he, he writes here. Uh, businessmen who were very much uh, planners, planning for the future. And if you're in business, you need to be a planner, right? You don't want to be just flying by the seat of your pants. You want to have a plan. And, and these men did that. But James says to them, you know, you can make your plans, your best plans, but there's no guarantee that you're going to see those plans fulfilled. Look what he says, uh, verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in this and make a profit. He says, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, James says, here's what you ought to say. If the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. Now, there's nothing wrong with making plans. I think we do need to make plans for the future. But the ones that James is confronting here in our text, these men really made a serious mistake. Because they left the Lord out of the picture, they thought that they were in control of their time and their plans. Notice all the references to time in verse 13. They talked about today, and then tomorrow, and then a year down the road as if they were in complete control of their future. And not only did they say when they would do something, they also said for how long they would do something. They said where they would go, and they said what the result would be. Now, that's a pretty specific plan. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to this city. We're going to engage in business. We're going to spend a year there. We're going to make a profit. Very detailed plans. And I suppose that's the kind of people that businesses are looking for today, right? Someone has a plan. Someone who knows what to do. That's the person that we're, we're going to hire. But James has something to say to those who think they're in control of their lives. He says, for one thing, we don't know what our lives are going to be like even tomorrow. Let alone a year from now, there are so many things that can change our plans, right? In just a short time. I love what John MacArthur says. He says, life is far from simple. It is a complex matrix of forces, events, people, contingencies, and circumstances over which we have little or no control, making it impossible for anyone to design, assure, or assure any specific future. Let me ask you a question. How many plans have you made that never came to pass? How many things have you thought of that you're going to do planning tomorrow or next week or next month or for the next year that never happened? Any of you have a lot of those? <laughs> we just can't guarantee that our plans are going to be fulfilled, can they? I would have never thought that my life would have taken various turns in my ministry. I had different ideas of what the Lord may want me to be involved in, but God had ways of directing and changing my plans, causing me to say, why in the world would I ever think 
that I have control of my life? Why would I ever think that I can just plan the course of my life out and that it's going to happen the way I planned it? It's kind of silly, isn't it? That doesn't mean we shouldn't plan. We need to remember that there is someone who is in control of those plans and he can change them at any time. We don't even know if we'll be here tomorrow, do we? Isn't that what James says in verse 14? You can plan what you're going to do. Go to this city and spend a year there. Engage in business and make a profit. And then he says, you don't even know what your life will be like tomorrow. How can you plan a a year down the road when you don't even know what your life will be like tomorrow? What is our life like? He says, "You're, you're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Now, we have two funerals this week. 95 and 98. Is that a long time? In light of eternity? It's like that. It's a vapor. You have coffee this morning. You saw that steam rising from the coffee, huh? There's our life like a vapor. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. Jesus put it very clearly in a parable that he told in Luke chapter 12. Listen, he told him a parable saying the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. Notice how many times he uses his eye. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Notice that. Many goods, many years. But God said to him, You're a fool. You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and who will own what you have prepared? That's what could happen, right? I had a funeral uh, several years ago for a 50-year-old man. He worked at the paper mill in in Cloquet. And he was just leaving the mill, finished his shift. The last words he said to his friends as he left were these. I'll see you tomorrow. And he died right there on the spot. You talk about a shock. His workers, fellow workers... I'll tell you what, could you imagine that? Witnessing that, I'll see you tomorrow, and boom, life was gone. And that's why James says we need to approach life with the understanding that our plans may not be God's plans. Instead, he says, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live. If the Lord wills, we will do this or that. If the Lord wills. Now Paul, many times, he, he uses that phrase as he talks about his plans in ministry. Acts 18.21, he was speaking to those in Ephesus. I will return to you again if the Lord wills. 
1 Corinthians 4.19, he said to the Corinthians, But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. 1 Corinthians 16.7, For I do not wish to see you now just in passing. I hope to remain with you for some time if the Lord wills. Isn't that the way we ought to live? Lord willing, right? I'll see you next week, next Sunday. Lord willing. Maybe Jesus will come this week, huh? We'll be worshiping in glory. That's how we ought to live our life, the Lord willing. So when it comes to God's will, it's foolish to ignore it. (laughs) Foolish to ignore it. Second thing we learn, God's will, it is arrogant to reject God's will. It's one thing to make your plans without seeking the Lord, but it's worse if you know the Lord's will and you agree that it is good, but you still refuse to do it. Verse 17, Therefore, to one who knows the right thing, the one who knows the will of God and does not do it, James says to him, it is sin. Why would a person refuse to do what he knows is right? Why would James have to even make a statement like that? The one who knows the right thing to do and, and doesn't do it. If you go back to verse 16, I think he gives one of the reasons, and that, that has to do with, with pride. He says, you boast in your arrogance... All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Now, most of us would like to think that we're not prideful, right? We're just amongst the most humble people that ever walked the face of the earth, right? Aren't we all that way? Just as humble as could be. Proud of our humility, huh? <laughs> That's how deceitful pride is. We can be, think we're so humble that we're, we're much more humble than the next person. And guess what? That's pride, right? So we're probably more proud people than we would like to admit. And pride is, 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 it manifests itself in, in many different ways. A pride causes us to want our plans instead of God's plans. We want our will instead of His will. And when our will and God's will are in opposition to each other, that's the battle, right? Whose will am I going to follow? Ever struggle with that? I can think of a man in Scripture who did, a man by the name of Jonah, remember? God told him to go where? Nineveh. What was Nineveh like? The most evil capital city of the day of the Assyrian Empire. And if you read in history what the Ninevites were like, what the Assyrians were like, they were about as cruel as you can get. And God said to Noah, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. What did he do? He said, no way. I ain't going there. And he was not very subtle about it either, was he? Because he went the exact opposite direction. God said, you go this way. Jonah says, no, I'm going that way. I'm going to follow my will. I'm going to do my thing. 
I don't want to follow your will, God. I'm going to do my thing. And he learned the hard way that it doesn't pay to try and run from God's call, does it? Doing your own thing. And not only do we want our plans instead of God's plans, aren't there times when we want our timing instead of God's timing? And usually it's because we don't want to wait upon the Lord. Today or tomorrow we plan to do something, and if God closes the door, we want it to happen, we're just going to make it happen, right? We'll just knock that door down and say, no, this is, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm, I'm determined to do it. Ever done that? Where God said wait, and you said no? And you learned the hard way, it's better to wait than to go ahead of, ahead of God? You see, we need to understand that we don't have the wisdom to see the future, right? We don't have the power to control the future. And it is arrogant to live as if we do. Let me say that again. We don't have the wisdom to see the future, nor the power to control the future. And that it's arrogant to live as if we do. So it's foolish to ignore God's will. It's arrogant to reject God's will. But here's the third thing. It is wise to embrace God's will. I'm not sure what it is about the Lord's will that we are afraid of. But are there times when the, the, the will of God causes us to, to fear? Romans 12 verse 2 says that God's will is good and acceptable and perfect. And I've had to ask myself many times, why would I not want what is good and acceptable and perfect? Why would I reject what God wants to do in my life? And I've come to the conclusion that at least part of the issue has to do with control. I want to have, by nature, a certain amount of control of my life. What I do, where I go, and so forth. And surrendering to God's will becomes then a fearful thing if I want a certain amount of control. I want a little bit of input into what God wants me to do. And when you have that attitude, it's like, okay, Lord, here's what I want to do. Okay? Rather than, Lord, what do you want me to do? Maybe you pray like that. Here's what I want, Lord. Would you bless it? Here's what I want to do, God. Would you just put a rubber stamp on it? I want to have at least a little input. You know, I don't want to just surrender to you, Lord. <laughs> that'd be a, oh, that'd be a scary, scary thing. I remember when I was in college and wondering about God's will for my life and finally came to the place where I said, Lord, whatever you want me to do. I'm willing to do. And I'll tell you what, the passage that really brought me peace was that Romans 12 passage. If God's will is good and acceptable and perfect, why would I not want that? Does that mean that God's will is easy, that it's always going to be wonderful, that there's not going to be any challenges, any struggles? No, it doesn't mean that at all. But I'll tell you what, when I have surrendered to God's will in my life, and I look back and I say, boy, thank you, Lord, for bringing me to that place where I said, Lord, you're, 
your will be done. Challenges, yes. But I wouldn't trade it for anything. If we take time to consider who God is, then we will see how wise it is to embrace His will. Think of God's love for us. How amazing is His love for us that He would give the life of His Son for us. If God loves us that much, can't we trust Him with our lives? God's wisdom, Romans 11, verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. If God is wise, all-knowing, if He can see the future, if He's got the big picture, and I've just got a little piece of the puzzle, why would I not trust Him? Why would I think that, you know, I know what's best, right? I've got to figure it out. Really? Are we that wise? Who are we kidding? How about God's unlimited power? What did Jesus say? All power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Can't we trust the one who has all power, who is able to meet our every need as we follow him? Warren Wiersbe tells of a a teenage girl that spoke to him after a sermon he preached. And she, she said, I would give my life to the Lord, but I'm afraid. And he asked her, what are you afraid of? And she said, I'm afraid that God will ask me to do something dangerous. And here's Wiersbe's answer, response. He says, the dangerous life is not in the will of God, but out of the will of God. The safest place in the world is right where God wants you to be. Isn't that true? I remember there was a pastor in my hometown who um, became a missionary in Beirut, Lebanon. And people in our community asked him, What in the world are you thinking? Why would you leave such a wonderful place like Cloquet? Couldn't be a better place, right? Why would you leave and go to Beirut, Lebanon? Aren't you scared? Aren't you? They had all, all these questions. And he was interviewed in our newspaper before he left. And he had made the statement. He said, the safest place for me is in the will of God. I'll be safer in Beirut, Lebanon in God's will than I would be here in Cloquet outside of the will of God. I thought, well, there's a man that just said, Lord, I trust you. This is where you lead, lead me. I'm going I'm to follow and I'm not going to give in to fear. I'm going to trust that you know what you're doing. Can we trust him? Huh? God knows what he's doing. His will is not something that we should fear or run from, but say, Lord, I'm yours. Lord, I want to lead, you to lead me and to guide me. When John Henry Jowett was a young man, he was so intent on pursuing a law career that he didn't consult the Lord. And one day he met a former Sunday school teacher who asked him what he was going to do with his many gifts that God had given him. He explained that he was going to be, be a lawyer. And the Sunday school teacher challenged him. 
and said, I've prayed for years that you'd follow God's will for your life, that you would enter into the ministry. And it startled John Henry Jowett. He started thinking and, and praying and saying, Lord, what do you want? And Jowett said, I then sought God's will in prayer and, and reverently obeyed his call. And after 35 years in his service, I can say that I've never regretted my choice. Never regretted. Andrew Murray said, God always gives what is best to those who leave the choice with him. And that's the key, isn't it? <laughs> leave the choice with him. Honestly and heartfelt, say, Lord, what do you want from me? Not here's what I want. Put your stamp on it. But Lord, what do you want for me? Lord, I'm willing to follow you. Our closing hymn puts it this way. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me. Make me. After thy will. While I'm waiting. Yielded and still. Can you sing that song from the heart today? And say, Lord, have your way in my life. I'm the potter. You're the potter, I'm the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will, while I'm waited, yield and still. Father, I pray that we would, would come to that place, that you would bring us to that place, where we face life within your will, not pursuing things that are not part of your plan for us, not running from your call, Lord, not... Uh, seeking to do our will and then asking you to, to bless it. The Lord, help us to honestly and sincerely and joyfully say today, Lord Jesus, have your will, have your way in my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.